Welcome to The Brian Buffini Show, where we explore the mindsets, motivation, and methodologies of success. Here's your host, Brian Buffini. Well, the top of the morning to you, and welcome to The Brian Buffini Show. Thanks for joining us today. Have some uh, interesting content to cover with you today. I, I hope it's helpful to you. I hope it's beneficial. We're going to cover how to have a healthy ego. Now, this could be construed in one of two ways. One is a healthy ego is one that is balanced and structured and organized and outwardly focused and that about service. And the other one could be that guy's got a healthy ego as in an oversized ego. And I, good news is I've been accused of both things. So um, this is part of the journey we're all on in regards to personal growth and development. And I uh, want to dive into this a little bit. And here, here's why. The title of this podcast was going to be How to Avoid Being Your Own Worst Enemy. And as I started to get into the solution side of this, as I was preparing this, it all came down to the ego and having a healthy ego. And so we switched the title around. But at the end of the day, an unhealthy ego is the way to be your own worst enemy. An unhealthy ego is the way to undermine many of your good efforts on having a good life. An unhealthy ego will undermine and damage relationships. An unhealthy ego will put you in a light where you're not seeing yourself accurately in regards to the market, your own skills, your own abilities. And so it, it leads to so many other things, resentments and frustrations and whatever else. And so uh, an ego, by definition, is a person's sense of self-esteem or self-importance. So ego by itself is a good thing. And this is a very, very important thing because we hear the word ego. Most people say, oh, that guy's got an ego. Everybody's got an ego. And is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? And it's just like, you know, Bev would talk to the kids when they were young and saying, when God makes something, it's always good, but it can be used for bad. You know, food is a fantastic thing. It's designed for something good. It's, it's designed for nutrition. It's designed to keep us alive. It's also designed for our pleasure. And it can be used for bad. And you can end up in real bad shape. You can be really in poor health because of what you do with food. And the same with wine. I love a glass of wine. It's a beautiful thing. I always hark back to Jesus' first miracle. Man, that's, that's close to an Irishman's heart, turning water into wine. What a business that would be. But the dynamic is, can it be overused? Can it be overdone? Are there people who've developed tremendous problems in their life and their families' lives by overdoing the booze? For sure. And the same thing in those terms, we talk about an ego. Ego by itself, in, in psychoanalysis, it is the part of the mind that mediates between the conscious and the unconscious and is responsible for reality testing and a sense of personal identity. So the psychoanalysis of it is it's the part of the mind that mediates between the conscious and the unconscious. So the conscious thought, the thought I'm having now, the intentional thought. What we know in 100 years of self-development and psychoanalysis is that 80% of our actions come out of our unconscious mind. And so the ego is really the master negotiator we have with, between our conscious and our unconscious mind. And it really takes what's in our unconscious out into the conscious and then out into our actions. And so it's a big, big deal. And big is often the word used in front of the word ego. This person's got a big ego which is a, a person's sense of self-esteem or self-importance, right? And so when you have a big ego, right, you get too full of yourself. It's a lot of pride, identity in the wrong things. People are attracted to confidence, 
Very few people are attracted to a big ego. It's normally a false position of confidence. And uh, Zig Ziglar used to talk about ego stood for EGO, edging God out. I like that too because I think it takes something that's made for good to not be good. And so that's why ultimately when I started doing the work, I said, how can I stop people being their own worst enemy? How can I give people some insight to help them not derail their own success? Because we run the largest business coaching organization in North America. And we're working with business owners one-on-one, tens of thousands of business owners. And what we see all the time is when they apply our referral systems, when they apply these fundamentals, their business does better, they generate more customers, they generate better quality customers. But what happens is a person can only go and grow their business as far as they go and grow themselves. And so what I'm always trying to do is help people to stop self-sabotaging. And that's something we see all the time. We see it all the time where people get the nosebleed when they're doing well and they start undermining themselves. Where people, you know, they're afraid that if they become successful, it's going to change them. Or they'll be alienated or ostracized from family members or friends, those kinds of things. People will treat me different. And some of those things are true. But ultimately, it gets down to what can you control and where can you grow to. And so the opposite of how to have a healthy ego is ultimately how to be your own best friend, is how to be your own best advocate, is how to actually help yourself be all you can be. And it's by having a healthy ego. It'll stop you from being your own worst enemy. It'll stop you from the negotiation between your conscious and your unconscious thoughts and your unconscious thoughts about yourself that you would admit to very few people. The things that you say to yourself that you wouldn't allow anyone else to say to you, that's what we're going to examine and talk about and get out of that environment of being our own worst enemy to being our own best asset. So here it is. I have five things for you in regards to having a healthy ego. Here's the definition. The first thing, is a, is a loving sense of self, a loving sense of self. That's really the healthiest approach for an ego, okay? A great book on this, a great resource on this is a friend and a man who's spoken at our events many, many times. His name is uh, Dr. Shad Helmstetter, and he wrote a book called What to Say When You Talk to Yourself, and we have been promoting that book for mm, 25 years, I'd say, and uh, fantastic work. That's one of the ways to develop a loving sense of self. You know, Mr. Rogers, and it's interesting, all the different movies that are coming out now about Mr. Rogers. And here is a guy that has been, you know, in the past that maybe made fun of or belittled in certain ways. And now people are starting to realize, hang on a second here, this guy represented something special. And there's four major motion pictures have come out about him, either in documentary form. Tom Hanks just produced a movie uh, playing uh, Mr. Rogers. And he's a profound guy. And he says, you can't really love someone else unless you really love yourself first. And it's powerful stuff, that healthy ego. Now, the way I want you to visualize it, right here in front of me, I have a, a bottle of this famous Carlsbad alkaline water. And it's about half filled. I'm only capable of pouring out as much water as in this, in this bottle. So right now, it's half empty, half full. I can only pour out a half a bottle of this water because that's what's inside. If there's only, let's say, an inch worth of the water in the bottle, that's all I'd be able to pour out. Similarly for yourself, if you only love yourself, let's say 10%, yet you love someone else with your whole heart, the best you can do for them is love them 10%. 
If you love yourself 20%, but you love someone else with your whole heart, your spouse, your kids, whoever, it's only 20%. Because you can't pour out more water than what's in the bottle. You can't really love someone else unless you really love yourself first. And that's why in the most healthy dynamic of this, a loving sense of self. Here's a little exercise for you. What if you did this? You have a list and I have a list of things I say to myself all the time. That is my you're not good enough list. You're not, you're not making progress here. You always, yada, yada. What if you flipped it the other way? What if you actually made a list and you started with, what can I really count on myself for? What can I depend on about me? Start making that list. Start thinking from that perspective. Because, by the way, it's a true list. Oh, by the way, ask that question of those that are close to you. You might be shocked to hear their answers. Now, some of you are like, oh, gosh, I don't want to give her that kind of opening. I don't want to open myself up. But in, in genuine sincerity, you get a chance to, I'm really trying to get some thoughts together and whatever else. I'd like you to put some thought into this, and maybe it's later at night or you have a conversation or a glass of wine or whatever. You go out to dinner and says, when you need to count on me for something or depend on me for something, what is that? Where am I consistent for you? I think it'll be a very, very healthy exercise because you're going to get to an even deeper understanding of a loving sense of self. And focus on that in a healthy way. Now, it doesn't mean there's other things you don't focus on, which are the weaknesses and all those kinds of things. We'll get to that. But that loving sense of self. Fill up your own water bottle first, you know? Put your own oxygen mask on before you put someone else's oxygen mask on. Fill your own bottle up first before you start pouring yourself out. So that'll be the first one. The second thing is a healthy ego is rock-solid resiliency. It's one of the most cornerstone character qualities of a healthy ego. Resiliency is the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties. It's the ability of a substance or object to spring back into shape. That's like that elasticity. And I, and I call this the rubber band dynamic. And I think all personal growth is like this rubber band. Think of those, you know, those thick rubber bands, you know, they're a little tougher, they're a little tighter and you, they're harder to stretch. I think resiliency is bouncing back. It's coming back from that. And what I also think is as you grow, just like you stretch a rubber band, stretch a rubber band, stretch a rubber band, eventually the rubber band becomes more pliable and even more elastic. And that's what personal growth is. But that strength is always bringing you back. There's some neat books out there on the subject like grit, you know, where you can help develop your resiliency. Very, very powerful thing. And a very powerful thing to focus on. So a couple of questions for you. How do you view failure? You know, Zig Ziglar used to say, failure is an event, not a person. How quickly do you bounce back from failure? Zig, again, said, it's not how far you fall, but how high you bounce that counts. I did not hear that from Zig Ziglar. Where I heard that is from a man by the name of Tom Kelly. Tom Kelly was a man who I met early on in my career in San Diego. When I first came to San Diego and I got run over by a car while I was trying to get my real estate license, I was a security guard at night at the La Jolla Cove Motel, and I worked at a photo shop called 12-Hour Photo, which, by the way, at the time was revolutionary that someone could drop off a roll of film and we could have it printed in 12 hours. And if you're under 30, Google film and find out how we used to actually live. Well, I met Tom Kelly there, and he was a retired, old-school Navy guy. He was a bachelor his whole life. He worked in this Photoshop in the darkroom. 
doing the enlargements. I mean, I'm talking about in pitch black. They used to have a little rolling door, and you'd go in. And I would sit in there with Tom, and I was 19 years old, and we would have these chats. He was a golfer. His father was from Ireland, so he loved talking to me about that. His name was Kelly. I mean, come on. And Tom was not a motivational speaker. Tom was not a, a personal growth guy. Tom was an old-school Navy guy, and he and I became golfing buddies. And at a very low point early on in my career, and I've talked about this before, I had, I had a business venture that went sideways. And I had a young family, and I'm struggling. I'm really at a low ebb. And Tom Kelly came by my house. I knew the man for 20 years. And never, ever did I have a conversation before or after like this, but he knew I was kind of in a bad spot. It was Christmas. It was a bleak-looking holiday season. And he came by with a couple of gifts for the kids. And he said, uh, Brian, it's not how far you fall, but how high you bounce. I mean, I get chills just think I know where I was. I'm standing in the hallway of the first house I ever bought. I was trying not to lose that house to foreclosure. And Tom Kelly said that to me, and I, I can picture where I was, and I can picture the emotion of it. And it was the word I needed at the time. And I knew I'd fallen, but I knew I could bounce. And he kind of reminded me at that stage of what it was going to take to come back. And so, you know, we've all been there. Anybody who's ever achieved anything, we've all been there. And the healthy ego is that rock-solid resiliency. And how do you view that failure? And how can you bounce back? Do you view yourself as the failure? Or did you view it as an event? And that you had to rebound from that. J.C. Penney. J.C. Penney filed bankruptcy twice in his life. The second time, he was institutionalized for it. And back then, when someone was having deep psychological problems, they put you in an insane asylum. And so that's how he was dealing with his failure in retail. He started what became the J.C. Penney stores at 56 years of age after two massive meltdowns. But he took everything he'd done and everything he'd learned into the new venture. And long after J.C. Penney's gone, and with all the retail shops that are closing down all over the world, J.C. Penney's still going along. So he viewed failure as an opportunity to learn and to grow and something to bounce back from. Okay? Winston Churchill said, success consists of going from failure to failure without loss of enthusiasm. Dale Carnegie, kind of the, the American founder of the personal growth and development business, said, develop success from failures. Discouragement and failure are two of the surest stepping stones to success. Okay? How to win friends and influence people. Dale Carnegie sure knew about that. So, first and foremost, we need a loving sense of self. Next, we have to understand we've got to have that rock-solid resiliency. Third, a healthy ego is the ability to solve problems. Now, some of you, you're sitting here going, hey, hang on a second here. I'm not bad at that. In fact... You know, when I was in the real estate business, solving problems is kind of what you got paid for every day. And so all of a sudden you go, hang on a second here, that's a cornerstone of a healthy ego, and it is. And a couple of thoughts there is, you know, think outside the box. You know, right now, we know that's kind of a platitude today, and now there's books written about how to get back in the box and this and any other. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about thinking outside the box, to me, is be willing to look at something with a fresh perspective. How about you look at your existing problems with a fresh perspective? Maybe you've set a goal 20 times and 20 times before you just haven't gotten, you haven't been able to plant the flag. 
well, maybe it's the 21st time. I'm going to look at this differently. I'm going to go about this differently. I'm going to think about this differently. Henry Ford said, thinking is the hardest work there is, which is probably the reason so few engage in it. Now, that was a guy, by the way, who at one stage, as one of the great industrialists in American history, was on trial, and the district attorney said that Henry Ford may well be the dimmest man in America. How would you like to have that said about you in court? And Henry didn't disagree with the guy. He said, ah, I'm not sure I would disagree with you. My wife would probably agree with you. He said, and I may be dim, but he said, I surround myself with people who are very smart in their respective disciplines, and I think about what they have to say. So when somebody shared something with Henry Ford, he thought about it. So a man that's, uh, that was accused, uh, this guy's not the sharpest tool in the shed, built a generational company. Uh, you ever heard of Ford? By the way, no one can remember the name of that district attorney. Nobody. You'd have to Google him now to find out the story, won't you? Away you go. It's powerful stuff. Zig talked about the type of thinking to do out of the box. Is positive thinking won't let you do anything, but it will let you do everything better than negative thinking will. So, you know, just positive thinking alone, sitting in a room, just positive thinking, that's not going to get you there, but it will help. Positive thinking will help. So a positive thought towards something you've struggled with. Why? Because we run ourselves down. The subconscious mind starts to say, you've tried this before and you've done it before. You tried to lose weight 25 times before and you never followed through. You tried to grow your business before, but you never did. You tried to build a better relationship with your spouse, but it never works. You had something you wanted to do and you pursued it and you didn't get very far with it. And so what we have to do is have a positive approach to thinking from a different spot than we did before. Very, very powerful. Okay? So we know, hey, it's a loving sense of self. We've got to have some resiliency. And then it's this healthy ego is the ability to solve problems. Based on that, you're listening to me. I know a number of you are thinking, huh, hang on a second here. I might have more on the ball than I thought I did with regards to this ego thing. The fourth thing is a healthy ego is the capacity to develop relationships. Capacity to develop relationships. And as I want to do on occasion, here's a couple of definitions. The capacity is from a Latin word and it says to take or hold. Okay, the definition in the Webster is the maximum amount that something can contain. The maximum amount. Now this is powerful. Capacity, the maximum amount. So we want the maximum amount of ability to develop relationships as one of the most successful ways for us to live our life. The relationship is the way in which two or more concepts, objects, or people are connected. So we're going to connect with people and connect other people to people, and we want to do that with maximum capacity. Here's the thing. You want to be great at business. You want to be great at working by referral. You want to be great influencer. The ability to be able to connect one person with another. That's how you exert influence. We did an upcoming episode of our podcast with my good friend Walter Bond, and he was very kind enough to credit me with the reason his book got published and so on and so forth. Here's what I did. I brainstormed the idea with him. I affirmed thoughts he articulated. I told him, you know, that's a great idea. I think this should be a book. And then he goes, I don't know where to start. So I gave him a few tips, having written a book. And then here's what I did. I connected him some people. I connected him with John Gordon, very successful, best-selling author. John Gordon connected him with his publisher, someone who could buy into the concept of a parable that would have this kind of personal growth and development uh, to it. And away we go. Relationships, relationships. Here's the thing. I do that five or six times a day. That's what I do for a living. 
Now, I don't get compensated for that, but that's what I do. The compensation comes in the form of that capacity grows. It's a beneficial thing for me. I enjoy it. I enjoy the outcome of it. I enjoy seeing people prosper. But ultimately, it brings this mountain of goodwill your way. It brings this mountain of goodwill. Now, when I was in the real estate business, my attitude was this. I wanted to build relationships, for example, with all of the different service providers and all the different tradespeople. So when somebody's house had a roof leak, and I sold them a house five years ago, and the typical agent, no one remembers their agent's name. Now, forget five years, five months after the sale. I'm still in contact with my customer. I'm still involved. I'm still providing something of value. I wanted them to be in a spot. When they needed a roofer, they called me. When they needed a babysitter, they called me. If they needed an attorney, if they needed a car detailer, if they, they were needing a wedding planner, I need to call Brian. And I became that trusted advisor to my database. Oh, by the way, when they also had a friend at church or at work or a colleague who was thinking about making a move, they thought of me too. So when I was selling 20 times the number of homes a year as my peers, as a 26-year-old, 27-year-old, I'm one of the top realtors in the country, and people want to know what this magic is. It was this capacity to develop business relationships. And it's a very, very powerful dynamic. And so it's a great way to develop a healthy ego. And here's why. Because in order to do that, I had to set aside my own needs and be putting other people's needs in front of mine and be thinking about it so that I realized part of my job description was I need to anticipate and find out the needs of my customers and then anticipate and find out someone who can help them, someone who can be a solution to their problem. And when that happened consistently over time, it became what's called critical mass. Critical mass. When, when in Ireland, when someone's using a vacuum, we don't say, where's the vacuum? We say, where's the Hoover? I didn't know till I moved to America that Hoover was a brand. I actually didn't know that Hoover was a brand. I thought Hoover was the name of the appliance. And I came to America and they're saying a vacuum. Well, what's a vacuum? You mean the Hoover? No, no, this is made by somebody else. What are you talking about? Xerox. Xerox. You used to say to somebody, I'm going to Xerox this. When they meant, I'm going to make a photocopy. You used to use the word Xerox. So that's critical mass. That's critical mass. And that's what I develop with my customers. So to point that anybody is talking to one of my people, one of my customers about buying or selling a home, they instantly thought of me and knew how to refer me. The dynamic there was, the healthiness of that was, I was working on my capacity to develop relationships and be useful to people and then connect one relationship with another. That's an example of how a healthy ego, just one area, can be so beneficial, okay? And so that others first mentality, that service first mentality, and coming from a place of humility where you have the, the humility to serve, okay? I can sum this a whole point up with a great quote from C.S. Lewis. He says, true humility is not thinking less of yourself it is thinking of yourself less. I, I can't imagine a better quote on a healthy ego than that. True humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. And that is this dynamic of capacity for relationships. And so there's no question. Just thinking about yourself, putting your own interests first, that's the way to destroy relationships, right? And so I really love that quote, and that's one to hang on to. So 
It's a loving sense of self. You need that rock-solid resiliency. It's the ability to solve problems. And then the capacity to develop relationships. The last thing is a healthy ego is a sense of meaning. You know, one of the most powerful books I've ever read in my life, I know a lot of people feel this way, is Man's Search for Meaning with Viktor Frankl as a, a survivor of the Holocaust and being in the death camps. And as a psychologist, he observed the patterns of people who survived those situations. He came up with one very profound statement that has become a cornerstone for many changes in philosophy and many uh, foundational books that have come from it. And basically, Victor argues to the point that he who has a why can survive anyhow. And so that why becomes very powerful. And just so you know, because this is very touchy stuff and this is a topic for other days and other podcasts, because I've worked on this a lot myself and helped a lot of people with developing a sense of why and a sense of purpose and a sense of meaning. And, and I want to encourage people, over time your whys will change. Um, and so over, over time there's different seasons in your life and different stages of life you go through. And you know, a, a mom with a brand new baby has a different why than a mom with a grandbaby. Okay. And so you, you go through different changes in life and different stages in life. So I don't want to get down into that rabbit trail per se, but ultimately, you know, another quote here from Victor Frankl says, when a person cannot find a deep sense of meaning, they distract themselves with pleasure. And that is really what I want to talk about, because I think what I see in our culture today is people just locked in on distraction to the point they can't drive their car without distracting themselves. I was driving to the office, to the podcast studio today, and there was a big old pileup. And as I pulled up, it was a gnarly crash, and I rolled down the window, and one of the cops that was there, I knew, and I, hey, everything okay? And he goes, yep, just someone reading their phone almost killed seven other people. That's the world we're living in today is that we're so distracted constantly, and we're distracted with pleasures. We're distracted with entertainment. Um, I just saw the previous chief financial officer of Netflix who went over to Spotify and, and helped build Spotify into this great company said, the culture has an insatiable appetite for content. There is not enough media content that can possibly satisfy the craving and the culture for it. And so one of the reasons for that is the absence of a deep sense of meaning. And so when you find yourself absolutely distracting yourself to distraction, when you find yourself escaping into television shows, into binge watching this and that and the other, into your sports teams, anything other than what you feel like you were put here to do, it's just good to take stock of it. And it doesn't mean you can't cheer for your sports team. It doesn't mean you can't have your favorite shows or you shouldn't on occasion sit down and do the Netflix thing or whatever. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the escape into that. A healthy ego has a sense of meaning. A healthy ego has a sense of purpose. A healthy ego is connected to that there's an example that will leave a legacy. Now, I think unhealthy ego can get all caught up in legacy and miss out on today. But I'm talking about leave a sense of legacy is because that's the example you left. So a healthy ego ultimately has this sense of meaning and purpose that will leave a legacy. Donald Miller, who we've had here uh, with StoryBrand and just a, a brilliant thinker, said, every human being is searching for a deep sense of meaning, and yet we are all chasing success. We've confused one for the other. And I think that's true. And so when we are here, and this podcast is about the mindsets and the motivations and the methodologies of success, what's the contrast there? Well, ultimately, 
It's the dynamic that we're trying to help you on your journey to become who you're destined to be. And the gifts that God's given you, for you to uncover them, for you to polish them up, for you to develop the skills and the attitudes, the work ethics, then the right process for you to become successful on that journey for you to fulfill that purpose of that ultimately is the meaning and the, the raison d'etre, as the French call it, your reason for existence. And so I think a healthy ego is a great way to go about that. And a healthy ego will stop you being your own worst enemy. A healthy ego will help you start being not only your only worst enemy, your own best friend. And when you become your own best friend, you'll find yourself becoming a better friend to everyone in your life, those you love that are close to you those that you have access to, those that you interact with. That's what shows up at work. That's what shows up at the family dinner. That's what shows up everywhere you go. That healthy, balanced, vibrant ego that's there to better everyone else's life and better everyone else that they come in contact with. So loving sense of self, that rock-solid resiliency, the ability to solve problems, the capacity to develop relationships, and a great sense of meaning. I hope this has been helpful for you today. I'm going to throw this over to Mr. Lally, a man with a very healthy ego. And I mean that in the most sincere way possible. Over to you, Davey. And of course, I take it in the most sincere way possible. Thanks, Brian, as always. It certainly doesn't hurt the ego to hear a little from those who are appreciating the show. One listener on Apple Podcasts writes, Always ready for Tuesday. Love the podcast and all the guidance from the Buffini team. Cheers, Coleman. We appreciate hearing from you. It does mean a lot to know the show is impacting lives. So if you enjoy what you hear every week, leave a review or share the show with people you know. And in the meantime, to sign us off, here's a little Irish blessing from Brian's mum, Therese. May the road rise up to meet you and may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields and the sun shine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. See you next time. (laughs) 